Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, listeners, to episode 98 of the Ad Nauseam Podcast. My name is Dr. Jeff Winkle. I'm down here in the bunker, vomitorium. What direction is this? I always forget. South. South. I'm here with my good friend who you just heard, uh, Dr. David Noe. How are you feeling over there, Dave? Well, I'm surprised that you're still calling me friend. Really? But we had of that, our pre-show that's kind of right. argument. Yeah. That's right. We went Darius and Intellis for a few rounds. Yeah, we did. Exactly. Yes, we did. Right. Feeling a little touchy, Winkle. Feeling a little touchy, I have to well, say. See, but I think part of the problem, I think we figured it out. Is okay. Like, you know, this, I, here it comes. I think of uh, when we talk about, you know, kind of current culture. Yeah. I do kind of think of myself as Johnny Pop. You are Johnny Pop. Right. And so, and here you are here you are in our kind of pre-show argument. I kind of stepping on my toes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah. I'm like Ludwig van Oldtimer yeah. or something, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. Whatever the opposite of Johnny Pop is. That's who I am. <laughs> right, okay. You're so, laughing. So I think I think that I'm, I'm going to step on your toes. I'm over it now. I'm over it. But um, are you feeling okay? Are you over it? Are you? I'm doing it? great. Okay, awesome. I'm really looking forward to this material. You Excellent. might think that pop culture has nothing to contribute to one's appreciation of the classics. Mm. That's a common theme of yours. Oh, really? I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Yeah. I think this is going to be a good episode. I, I'm excited about it too. Right? And if I were one who used the E word, mm-hmm. excitement, yes, I would use it here. But you don't. You generally of course don't. not. not excited, right? No, <laughs> you don't get excited. Let it never cross my teeth and out into the atmosphere. Right. So, what, should we give the audience a, a hint? Of what are we talking about? Yes, today? we should. We're kind of dancing around it. But... Classical references in pop music, part one. Yes, and this is a this is a huge subject for you. Well, no, I think it's. When I was looking into, you know, just kind of doing some Googling around, as you do. As one does. And if you look at just, you you search for, you know, classical reference or mythology and pop songs, there are hundreds What's the first thing that comes up? Um, Usually it's one that's in our list today. Okay. It's uh, it's Led Zeppelin's Achilles Last Stand. That's right. Yep. Is that that where he sold ice cream cones? Uh, (laughs) Down down along the beach in Troy? Exactly. Lemonade. That's right. Well, when he was sitting in his tent so long, he got bored. You got to do something. (laughs) Right. Right. So, <laughs> These sacrifices aren't going to fund themselves. So he had the uh, he was he was had the the the, the, the soft serve twist. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is really what made Agamemnon upset. <laughs> what, I think he wanted yogurt. The prices were too low. <laughs> well, Achilles, Achilles, Achilles last day. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, but, re- reprised, of course, yes. uh, by that famous Civil War general mm-hmm. who went out to um, Little Bighorn, right? Wait, oh, Custer. Yeah. Custer's last stand. That's right? correct. Exactly. He had his own kind of franchise. franchise out there, right. And in both cases, it didn't go well. Did not. No, no, no. Right. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking, yes. And you were talking about Googling around yeah. for classical allusions. And there's, there's so many out there, and they, and they go back to kind of the beginnings of pop music, too. They're still popping up today. What, when is the beginnings of pop music? 1950s? I would say 1950s. Okay. Kind of um, Elvis era, right. fi- mid-50s, yeah. So right there, um, we had the what, the Glenn Miller Orchestra? Hmm. Right? Yes. They were really popular. Yeah. And then I think totally eclipsed. Oh, without a doubt. By people like Elvis. Exactly. It's it's like... Who uh, could barely play one instrument, right? right? <laughs> exactly. As opposed to the Glenn Miller Orchestra that had 40 or 50. When I was in high school, yeah. since, since you asked, yeah. uh, one of my best friends was a big fan of the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Really? Isn't that shocking? Man. Was it was that kind of when kind of swing dancing was no, kind of coming back? No, no. no it nothing? was long before Brian... 
Seltzer. 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 Seltzer from the salsa. Salsa. Right, yeah. It was long before that. So this guy was totally on his own. He would bring over vinyl albums of the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Is that right? Yes. Meanwhile, I was interested in Eddie Van Halen. You know, of course. Very yeah. different. But I think you're right that that um, Elvis did to Glenn Miller what kind of grunge did to hair metal. Right. That's a good point. Did, uh, just buried that that genre right. as far as kind of popular music taste. Right. Yep. So yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, you find these classical references, yeah, from the 50s on. And so we've chosen a few. We're going to kind of do as many as we can get through, right? Um, this is, after all, only yeah. part one. Part one. Well, this, this could be a, a, a long series if we wish it to be. Yeah, it's I th- don't think we do, though, because we have to return to the end. We will. I think we'll return to the subject matter sometime down the line. Definitely. Right. But we'll, I think we have to see kind of how this episode goes, mm-hmm. too. Right. As well as How to Be a Latin Guru, part three. You, you you got stuff uh, oh, I got fired stuff. up for that? Awesome. All yeah, right. Very good. So as we get into it, mm-hmm. we have a shout out this week. We do. I'm filled with anticipation. Yes. This comes from, um, I'm, I am I like this one. This is an incredible guy. This goes back, to, this goes out to uh, Chris Sanicola. Chris Sanicola. Who was a former student of both of us. Native of Maryland. I don't remember of that part. Sicilian extraction. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, great guy. Before we read uh, what he sent us, which yeah. we really like, Chris actually worked for me. Uh, briefly, uh, in some Latin work. We so did. yeah, I, I uh, released a volume, something translated from Theodore Beza, and Chris was uh, the guy that helmed that whole production. Oh wow! Wrote notes, looked up references, and did some Latin translating himself. So a very gifted individual. I remember him as being a very sharp student. That's right. Yep, and just an all-around kind of nice, laid-back guy. Yes, he came to Italy with us right. in 2016, and he, That's he right. was so much fun to travel with. Yeah, so let's read what he sent us. Go ahead, Jeff. Yep. So he writes, uh, "Salute from Japan." That's where he is right now. So all right. Says, Back at the college that shall not be named, under your and uh, he's talking. He's addressing you. Um, under Dr. Noe's and Dr. Winkle's fine tutelage, my love of the classics, Greek and Latin, flourished. Uh, I'm currently teaching at an IB school. What is, is, what is that? Uh, not the uh, medical problem, but <laughs> International Baccalaureate. There, that's it. That's right. So uh, uh, International Baccalaureate School in Japan. And though I'm not teaching Latin, I found my classical background to be immensely useful in reaching an international student body. That's, um, that's always amazing to me. I, I imagine what it would be like to kind of completely uproot yourself and move to uh, especially a culture like Japan, which, That's right. is, which is so radically different than, yes. than Western culture. And, right. Yeah. And where you obviously are going to stand out quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Chris was an adventurous person mm-hmm. and uh, very gifted at languages. I bet he speaks Japanese now yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, please take it away. Sure. Yeah. He says the recent influx of Aeneid episodes, I guess that's better than a reflux of Aeneid episodes, the work that truly brought Latin to life for high school age me has brought me back from being an infrequent listener, see it's confessional time, Yeah. to inspiring me to go back through all the episodes I have not heard yet, over halfway there, he says. All right. I have nothing but fond memories of classes with the two of you and working on research for publications together. That's yeah, the basic, there the basic mentioned. stuff, yeah. I also still remember the nickname of the bodyguard that I received during our travels abroad, <laughs> parenthesis, maybe some reference to an old film, double question mark. He's 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 almost right yeah, there. Yeah, can you set him straight, Jeff? Well, I, it's kind of embarrassing because the nickname we ca- we actually came up for him was Pepsi-Cola. That's pretty bad. It's weak. Lame, it's weak. Winkle. It is lame. lame. I know, but when you have so many students to uh, uh, affix a nickname to in, what, like two and a half weeks? We had more than 30. Yeah. And based on our previous visit to Greece, 2011, when we went to Italy in 2016, yeah. we set as our, um, our project, our intellectual goal, to give, uh, because this is the kind of ambitious, serious individuals we are, right. to give each student a unique nickname that expressed their essence. Right, exactly. And part of the difficulty of, the, of that is that uh, ideally we want the nickname to kind of 
um, reveal itself. Yeah, to emerge organically from our traveling and moving around buses and sites with exactly. these individuals. And we had some, we, there was some gold there, but I apologize to Chris because Santa Cola to Pepsi Cola is weak. That's phoning it in, right. let's, let's face it. I'm sure he's heard that kind of corny stuff since he was yeah. in kindergarten, right? Should we just stop the episode now and, <laughs> uh, you know, slink off in shame? Yeah, we, sh- we, sh- we should, but... Um, I think the show must go on. All right. So the, the bodyguard was actually, that was uh, another student. That's correct. Right. And so it is a reference to a, a 90s film with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he continues, uh, the information, humor, and pop culture references in the podcast are an educationally rich delight. See, the guy can turn a phrase. Yes, he can. And I thank you for your continued dedication. I do wonder why, given the overwhelming pop culture references, there is no mention of Breaking Bad in connection with the fates in the El Camino. Ooh. I can tell you why. Why? Because I'd never seen the show. I don't oh, know what he's talking are about. Are you kidding me? Of course not. The greatest television show ever made. Well, we don't have time to argue about okay. this now. But it, Breaking Bad is filled with Iliadic and Odyssean Good. Uh, reference. So Great. Uh, no wonder it was popular. But I didn't know about it. That's why I didn't include it. Wait, you've never heard of Breaking Bad? I have heard of it. Okay. I didn't know there was any El Camino reference. Okay, well, El Camino... You want to continue, please? Sure. All right. So he says, all I can do is imagine them rolling around the fate so with Jesse Pinkman back there. That's that's excellent. This is a great idea, Chris. Okay, yeah. keep going. Right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the upcoming episodes and the Big 100 in the near future. Thank you for continuing to light and inspire through your vast knowledge of the classics. Uh, he also says, I currently work as an English language acquisition teacher for the Middle Years program. Uh, he also wants to reminisce about the time uh, he went with me to karaoke in Rome. I remember this very well. Uh, he, again, he's slightly off here where he says, okay. I, I sang the song Mr. Brightside. You didn't sing Mr. Brightside. He's got the right band, wrong song. What was the song? I, saw, I, I, uh, um, I, I sang a song called When You Were Young Okay. Uh, by the same band, The Killers. When You Were Young. Sounds like a Sinatra sort of piece. It's it's not, actually. Okay. It, it's a rollicking pop tune. All right. Yes. He says, additionally, I want to thank O.C., He's giving a shout-out within a shout-out. We've had this before, like the nested dolls thing. It is. He says, I want to thank my high school Latin teacher, Ms. Remus. you got to be kidding me. He says, yes, that is her real oh name. Oh, my gosh. For introducing me to the classics. Wow. It reminds me think of my gym teacher, Mr. Sweaty Socks. No, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think so. I think it's Polish. Or my biology teacher, Mr. Beaker. <laughs> If only we were also aptly named. <laughs> the geography teacher, Mr. Mapstone. <laughs> we could go on and on. We could. Hey, Chris, great to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Yeah. While we're talking about listening, yes. we have a corregendum. No, no we, don't yes. make, we don't make mistakes. A corregendum. You like that gerundive? This corregendum was brought to us by the uh, a, the careful attention, brought to our attention by the, the careful listening of uh, someone who we will call uh, Suzanne, mm-hmm. because that's her name. And she said, uh, no ball games in ancient Rome. I protest, she said. What? Sent me a tart email. Okay. Yes, a tart email and hmm. said, how could you guys be so far off the wagon or whatever the term is <laughs> right. out of the stadium? Yeah. There was an ancient Roman ball game and apparently it's called Trigon. 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 How do you play Trigon? Did I don't you, know. Did you look into it at I all? I started reading the yeah. Wikipedia article and okay. quickly grew bored. <laughs> so I stopped. So, Suzanne, uh, we sit here, corrected, mm. eating our humble pie. We appreciate you paying such close attention and letting us know. And for any other listeners who noticed this um, historical indiscrepancy, please go uh, look up Trigon on Wikipedia and, and figure it out. Right. But when it comes to our sense of, um, of sorrow, I think we should just let Trigons be Trigons. 
<laughs> oh man, that's brutal. I was waiting all week for that. Oh man, that's 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 not bad. Trigons be trigons, right? Well, I was. I, I think the one thing I did hear was it was a it was a way for for kind of stressed out Romans to relax. Yeah. So they were often known to kind of scream to the heavens. No. Trigon, take me away. <laughs> That's terrible, Jeff. <laughs> that's awful, I know. That's worse than mine. Right. I'm not ready to apologize yet. Though. Laundry detergent from the 1980s. <laughs> okay. Okay. You've got the Ope quote. I do. Right. So this is a this is actually from uh, Wikipedia. Oh, so we really and dug deep for this we, one. We did. Right. So and it's actually about one of the songs we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Um yeah, if we can never get past this intro, right? Um about Led Zeppelin's Achilles Last Stand. And so, you know, trying to do some poking around, doing some, some trying to find if there's sure. any kind of writing about these songs. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was kind of interesting because I had often kind of dismissed this song. I'm not a huge Led Zeppelin fan, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't like songs that are generally kind of drag on over 10 minutes. I like get right. you know, very bored. If, I mean, if you're going to do that, it better be worth it. Right. And and it, kind of using that kind of mythological imagery was kind of, uh, it's kind of, it's, it was too try hard right. for me. But when I kind of learned the story, I thought this was kind of interesting. Okay, let's so, hear it. So it says, although Led Zeppelin's Achilles' Last Stand uses mythological imagery drawn from William Blake's Albion, the Atlas myth and the Greek hero Achilles, its lyrics center around the group's travels during their exile. The title is an ironic... I don't know when Led Zeppelin was exiled. Uh, don't you remember when the British Parliament voted them off the planet? They just said, get out? That's right. Exactly. I think, I think this refers to maybe like they were tax exiles. I don't know, but it was pre-Bezos, so, you know, there was no place to go. <laughs> right, right. They remained terrestrial. So the title, Achilles' Last Stand, is an ironic reference to, uh, to Robert Plant, lead singer, August uh, 1975 automobile accident in which he severely injured his ankle. See, now that I, I feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Because being in an automobile accident is horrific. But he just had an ankle injury. Ankle injury. I can do that walking to the mailbox. I, 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 yeah, so I, I don't understand how that could be so severe. Well, I guess maybe maybe it shattered that or crushed, ankle. Crushed, I, I suppose. I have no idea. I it, should be more sympathetic. So, but I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, the ankle kind of close to the heel, and so you know, kind of uh, kind of joking about Robert Plant kind of being Achilles. Yeah. In, in this, I thought I so I didn't know that story. So in my uh, former academic office, digression, I had a um, an unnamed plant. I couldn't figure out what the species was. Yeah. Uh, but my daughter and I called it Bob. Yeah, Robert Plant. Yeah, Bob Plant. Nice. Thanks. I like that. It goes on. Um, so he severely injured his ankle and uh, as Achilles was brought down by an arrow to his calcaneal tendon. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Plant was unable to walk for a year. Wow. That must have been something. I guess. Right? And recorded much of the, the album Presence, which this song is on, in a wheelchair. The working title of Achilles' Last Stand was The Wheelchair Song. I'm glad that they changed that. <laughs> yeah, that's weak. But you know, it's very difficult to sing seated. It is very difficult to Even sing. a person who is as uh, skilled as he is. You right. Know, it's hard to do. You can't get breast support. That's very true. And it, it goes on, but I thought... I, so, can I just interrupt? Yeah, please. Yeah. So, so who is the uh, biographer who wrote this uh, in this? I, I uh, This is uh, Martin Popoff. Popoff? Yeah. <laughs> That's too rich. It is too He's rich. writing about what kind of music? Uh, pop music. And his name is Popoff. So it's Mrs. Remus all over again. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, so I thought that made me, that, that, that softened me toward the song a little okay. bit. So if, as we'll see, Achilles is not mentioned once in the song. No. But it's kind of this in-joke that right. Robert Plant himself is Achilles with the, Got it. With the ankle injury. Right. Got it. I yeah. love it when a band, you know, like a podcast is so self-indulgent and introspective. You'd love that, do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want me to read the second paragraph? Uh, go ahead. Okay. Albion is a Blake reference, but it's also an ancient name for what would become England. The Atlas Mountains, which span Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia are also referenced, but through a nice twist... The lyric directly re- uh, referring directly to Atlas instead, the god who held the earth on his shoulders. Uh, within this, Plant also relates his travels in Greece, Spain, Montreux, Jersey, and California, 
as well as what internal what one internalizes from travel. So what what does one internalize from travel? I don't know. I mean, if you if you read those lyrics, bad airplane food, <laughs> I've internalized a lot of that. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're um, thinking a little bit too literally. Okay, right. Well, the, the, the stuff you eat, the donuts you get. Well, what have you internalized from travel? Oh, the, what, I mean, I would say it's you know it's changed my perspective and how. I, but yeah. give us an example. Um, well, I think just kind of broadly speaking. I think that, you know, once you kind of walk through the ruins of a place, you never think about the, kind of the stories and the history associated with that place in the same way ever again. Mm. You know, just the, the sheer mental images that come to your mind, say about the Battle of Thermopylae, when you stand on the hill of the last stand, you can never see the, nice. the in the same way again. Right? Quite right. Yeah. Do you ever walk through your home and think, um, you know, when you and your family are long dead and gone, uh, what this place will look like, right? You ever walked through a home like that? And there were a couple of abandoned, burnt-out houses in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, I'd walk by them as a kid, and I'd wonder, who used to live there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So you walk through your own living room. What will this look like 100 years from now? Exactly. In what way will my or my family's existence haunt that space? Well, I wasn't thinking of that. Right. Well, I was planning I, to do some haunting? I'm not, again, you're taking it too literally. I mean, kind oh, of real okay. Sorry, sorry. Right. All right. Sorry. Okay. Hey, we, should we get down to business yeah. here? Okay. So we have a, a, a handful of songs, yep. and all of them contain classical allusions. Mm -hmm. And I think we there we it ranges from kind of the ridiculous to the sublime. That's right, to some degree. And we have um, a series of audio clips yes. that we're going to throw in here. Now the audio clips, you know, carefully curated by one of us, is not they're they're not necessarily the part of the lyrics we're going to discuss. Mm. But some of them will be very familiar, like um, the one from The Police. I think is going to be very familiar. Yep. So we give you just maybe a sixteen to thirty second snippet. And uh, it, it puts you in mind of what's coming. Right. Exactly. Yes. Very good. So shall we roll the first one from the police? Let's do it. Let's hear it. I can see that destiny you sold Turn into a shining band of gold I'll be around your What do you think of that song? What do you like? Well, <laughs> I've often liked Police a lot and mm -hmm. Sting, you know, over the years. But there's just something about this that I don't know really um, what's going on. I want to know, first of all, why is Sting doing jumping jacks in a white chiffon <laughs> surrounded by banks of flaming candles? Which he knocks over. Then. Yes, right. at the end. Yeah. So you sent me this playlist, yes, right? This I did. Is, this is your ship to steer. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't just listen to the songs. I watched the musical videos. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it seems kind of dangerous and bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, I think this was, I mean, at a point, I think the, the album came out in 1983. And uh, this is where you know, MTV was kind of firing on all okay. cylinders. And it was, I think lots of bands were kind of competing with each other. Like, who can get the biggest budget? Okay. And who can kind of do the weirdest, most over-the-top thing out there? Visually. Visually. In terms I, of getting people's... Attention. attention, right. And I wouldn't say this is over the top, but it is bizarre. It is bizarre. Right. And so, so I, this is from the album Synchronicity, isn't it? Synchronicity. Yes, exactly. One of my, one of, in my top 10 albums of all time. Yeah, this goes back to the Christmas episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I, that was uh, in the stocking stuff. Right? That's correct. I, yeah. So I think this, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's often touted as a kind of a concept album you know, uh, that's threaded through with Jungian themes. It okay. isn't really. There's a couple of songs, Synchronicity 1 and Synchronicity 2. Which are great songs. That's where you get the young stuff. Mm. But you, uh, in wrapped around your finger, which is the name of the song that we're talking about. That's here, correct. It, it was a hit. It was um, uh, it was one of the, the the number of hits off this album. Okay, the album's most famous for "Every Breath You Take," which was a smash. That was, right? I love that song. That's a great King of Pain. Don't great, know it. Oh, you you would you would know it if you. Okay. 
great song. And this one was, I think, like the last single that was released. And it was a it was a decent hit. I've never really cared for it. It's a little too moody mm. for my taste. Mm. It doesn't really kind of go anywhere. Right. And I also thought that one of the things, I, love, I really like Sting, but he, oh, one of the things that irritates me about him is that um, he can... He can come off as very pretentious. pretentious. Sure. Exactly. Right. Well, you consider me the young apprentice caught between Asilla and Charybdis. That's the line. Yeah. Right. That's not the pitch, let's <laughs> just say. But it's <laughs> roughly the rhythm. Right. Uh, what does this mean? How does it illuminate the themes of the song? Well, and I mean, Sting, Sting is on record as saying it's a, a, a spiteful song about turning the tables on someone who had been in charge. See, right. that's what I like about the song. Mm. I like a good song about spite. <laughs> and I thought we could work this we could work this into our relationship on the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. A, a spiteful episode about turning the tables on someone who had been in charge. Uh-huh. That's really what's going on. You gotcha, right. But what about Scylla and Charybdis, a young apprentice caught between a Scylla and Charybdis? One, I, I, I like the I like the sheer bravado of rhyming uh, yeah. apprentice with Charybdis. That takes a lot of chutzpah. It does lots of chutzpah. It's, I don't think it's ever been, it was never done before and it hasn't been done since. Hopefully right. it right. won't ever be done again. <laughs> right. So, but beyond that, I think what Sting is tapping into is that even in antiquity, uh, the phrase caught between a soul and Charybdis was axiomatic, right? It was, um, you're kind of, you know, um, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? And it, it, it ultimately morphs into a more familiar phrase caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, yeah. or between the devil and the deep blue sea. There you go. Which is going to take us into the Zeppelin song, if, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is, is, that, is that referred to? I think to? that's in the Zeppelin song. That's a phrase I've never really understood. Well, I did some research. On devil and the deep blue sea? Yes, okay. it refers to an individual caulking a ship. If you got to caulk the outside of a ship, it's apparently very dangerous. Mm. And uh, so you could just, you know, drift away in the ocean. Oh. You're between the devil and the deep blue sea. Interesting. Interesting. I love that, that those mm-hmm. little, little stories behind these We things. can talk more about it later. So um, I think that, I mean, it's, I like the spite angle. Um, there, I mean, there's a song there where you know, now the servant has become the master or That's something right. like that and kind of gets at what he's When what he's you'll find about. your servant is your, uh, here's the line. Yeah. I will turn your face to alabaster. I don't like, that's weak. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. When you'll find your servant is your master. Yeah. I think maybe it means this. I will turn your face to alabaster. Means I'm going to scare you white as a sheet. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's not too bad. I guess for the so. reflection. It's. I think he was just. He needed master. What rhymes with master? Alabaster. And he goes to the rhyming dictionary. You alabaster. So. Nobody said that before. <laughs> I'm going to sound sound really smart. I have only come here seeking knowledge, things they would not teach me of in college. So who, who's he going to? Well, I don't know, but I thought about all of the students I've taught before and how I must have failed them. <laughs> so you felt kind of indicted. That's correct. He goes on, he says, I can see the destiny you sold turned into a shining band of gold. That made me think that, I mean, this is about, he's regretting a relationship that he yes. got into and, or a, a marriage that, um, that he wants to get out of. Right. right. Well, as he said, right, it's a spiteful song about turning the tables on someone who had been in charge. It strikes me that the, uh, the Greek and Roman authors, they knew something about spite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, how many of the themes in the Metamorphoses of Ovid are spite themes? Sure. A large number. Right. So this. So you're saying that that uh, this song fits very well with uh, caught the ancient sp- themes. Yes. Yeah. Caught the spirit. If if the individual words necessarily don't li- rhyme or line up too well. Gotcha. All right. Hey, let's 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 move on. What's number two? Okay. Oh, one more comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is when I first saw this on the list wrapped around your finger. Yeah. I thought this was probably a reference to Theseus and Ariadne. Oh, like he got his hands caught up in the thread in the or threads. something like that. <laughs> exactly, and, that, and again, that's also a relationship that doesn't work out. That's right. That right. was a fraught, spiteful relationship. Yeah, yeah, very spiteful because he made her these extravagant promises. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she was attractive, and he was, you know, very smitten with her at first. Right. 
But as so often happens in a relationship, once you're free of the Minotaur, your your perspective changes completely. Every time. How, has that happened to you? Oh, it, I could it, just get this Minotaur off my back. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, then you, you see the world in a completely different light. That's correct. Right, so then Theseus ends up abandoning her on an island. That's right. Drops her off. And in a really cruel way, she wakes up the next morning and she's combing the beach and he's gone. Yeah, right? abandoned. And, and then comes the spite. Yes. Yeah, yes. She stares off into the distance, you know, raises one crooked finger and curses him. Yep. Yep, and that uh, ultimately results in the death of his father. Yeah, turns right. his face to alabaster. I, I like that interpretation. Okay, yeah, you should get to, get to, you got Sting's Twitter. I do not. Okay, no, I don't have his cell phone either. Right. So, all right, excellent. Let's um, go on. Let's go on. So number two is a song called "The Cave." Okay. By a band, uh, another band that I, I really enjoy, Mumford and Sons. Okay. Now, um, are these the guys who had that show in the seventies starring uh, Red Fox and Demond Wilson? I, oh, are you talking about uh, Sanford and Sons? Is that what it right. is? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to watch that show with my dad. You did? Yes, it was about these two African American guys who were um, trash, a, trash men. In a junkyard, right? A sanitation engineer, sorry. Okay. I didn't understand anything that was going on in that show. Yeah. But I knew that my dad thought it was funny. Oh, man, I, I don't think I ever watched one frame of San Francisco. I just, really? I just knew that. that it's the, a classic. The theme song, right? Yeah, it's a classic. Red Fox, right? Yeah, that's a funny guy. Yeah. It's a funny guy. So I for a long time, um, I thought this was not the same group. It's not the same group. No, it's no the, the Mumford and Sons. Not right. Sanford and Sons. No, no, no. Exactly. You think they were inspired by that? I don't know. I think it's just because I think some guys in the group's last name is Mumford. Okay. Or, right. But the yeah. others weren't his sons. No, they're not the sons. I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Okay. Right. And what's the deal with the music video? There's all these mopeds and the beach. I haven't seen the video. You sent it to me. I sent you the link. I, I don't watch the video. I just listen to the song. All right. All right. So how is this classical? Should we roll the clip right. first? We have to roll the clip. The harvest left no food for you to eat. You cannibal, you meat eater, you see. But I have seen the same. I know the shame in your defeat. I will hold on hope and I won't let you choke on the noose around your neck and I'll find strength in pain and I will change my ways I'll know my name as it's cold again What do you, what do you think about this? Do you think it's? I think you said it's. Uh, it sounds a little cutesy. It's a little cutesy, right? I mean, the the pattern, the rhythm is is cutesy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't disagree. I think the song kicks in and becomes okay. more interesting. So I, I mean, I lack the musical vocabulary to explain what about it I don't really like. I think the the kind of intro. It sounds. It's a, it's very simple. Right, it's a, it's a, it's very basic. I think the, as the song kind of kicks in, it gets better. I mean, Mumford, the the hook for this band, particularly when it came out, this came out, you know, um, over ten years ago, was they're they're kind of they're a folk band, so they use they use mostly acoustic instruments. There's banjo, there's a lot of hand percussion, and it gives them a very kind of unique sound. Okay, and so um, so this came out uh, from the album "Sigh No More," "Sigh No More," yep. which is a Shakespeare reference. Yeah. Yeah, and these guys, uh, the, the the lead singer, I think he's is the principal writer. Okay, um, he's very erudite. Mm. And uh, this, I have a Greek course for him. You do exactly <laughs> right. Although he might already be there. Oh come on! Oh, no way! No way! No way! So this came out in 2010. Mm -hmm. Can you read us some of the key lyrics? Right. So there's there's a, a, at least three spots in the uh, in the song where there are very tangible classical references. Right. So one line goes, "So tie me to a post and block my ears." 
I can see widows and orphans through my tears. Let's hold it right there. Okay. What does that mean? I get the first part, right? It's Odysseus on the ship listening mm-hmm. to the sirens, but I can see widows and orphans through my tears. Right. I think that I think the song is about um, seeing things that you really know that deep down you ought to do or or care about or, okay. or follow through on and just being stuck. I see. Right. And so we'll see. There's another song too later that uses that that um, that's that image from the Odyssey where you're tied to the post where, you know, with the. Uh, and you can hear the siren song, mm-hmm. um, but there's nothing that you can do about it. Right. You're, well, here, here's a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please, please. Well, here's the difference between these writers and the classic, the classical authors, mm-hmm. right? Is that the classical authors, the good ones, they strove for something that was a little more obscure. What's the one thing everybody knows from the Odyssey? It's probably the sirens, and the second S- thing, the Cyclops episode, is the Cyclops. Right. You know, so when Catullus. Uh, is reaching for an illusion, a reference in his uh, Apelia, right, in the middle of his collection, mm-hmm. Wedding of Peleus and Thetis. He's trying to find the most obscure thing that's going to send people to their dictionaries. Right. Now, maybe my standard is too high for the authors of pop music. Right. But I think a little more obscure reference is more pleasing. So you're saying this is too easy. Yes. Too easy. So you, you would think that, like, Sting, uh, Scylla and Charybdis, that's more Ovidian, Right. Because um, I think Scylla and Charybdis is still pretty easy. I don't. I don't think a lot of people would recognize. Throw that. the name Nausicaa in there. Oh, you can always be more. You can always one up your obscurity. Well, let's do it. Right. You know, I'm as lonely as Eumaeus. <laughs> right. Well, I think in a you know this coming out in 2010. Okay. Where you know classical literature and classical themes are no longer part and parcel of most fair. people's upbringing. Okay. Fair. So, so, but, so it's not like the 1830s in England. Right. Where every person who participated in a literary discussion knew the classics. Exactly. Deeply. Exactly. All right. 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 But I, I, I'm with you there that, um, I mean, the, the Sirens episode, like when I teach the Odyssey, which I'm doing right now, is that most of my students, even if they've never read a word, they know about the Sirens. For mm-hmm. some reason, that 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 story has, has kind of has had a... Large Nachleben. Okay, right? nice, uh, nice. Um, but if you, and I always point out to them, that if you actually look in the Odyssey, the Siren's Passage is about half a page on a modern trip. Very brief. Very brief. But it's become kind of this big thing. So, you know, you know, Perdix, the partridge in the story of Icarus and Daedalus? Yes. Uh, it, what did I say? <laughs> Icarus and Daedalus. Yes. I got their, their names messed up. So, Perdix there, right? There's a grocery store in Florida, a grocery store chain. Yeah. Publix. Publix. There's a rhyme right there. Perdix Publix? Yes. So that's just waiting to be... Someone can use that, right? It's a pop song. Yeah. I was on my way to Publix and Uh, something... Found myself uh, channeling Perdix. Something like that. Yeah, okay. So there's a somewhat obscure reference. That's very obscure. Okay, thanks. All right. You want to read the next set of lyrics from Mumford and Sons? Right, and this is where you get the, uh, um, uh, the title for the song. It says, so come out of your cave walking on your hands and see the world hanging upside down. You can understand dependence when you know the maker's land. I think I'm should, lost. I think I think it's, make, it's supposed to be maker's hand. Hand. Yeah. I'm lost. Yeah. What does this mean? Um, I like the image of coming out of the cave walking on your hands, but right. the rest I don't get. Well, I think the, the referent is Plato's allegory of the cave. All right. right. And so the idea could you emerge from the cave where you everything that you've known is you realize is an illusion. Um, it's you've seen your world through a glass darkly and now you see how things really are. Yeah. And now you can act and now you can live a full human life. As someone who plays with Plato often, I'm surprised I didn't get that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So when he says when you, you can understand dependence when you know the maker's hand, there's lots of, 
uh, this band has lots of kind of Christian imagery. Okay. This. So this idea that true freedom is found um, not in breaking free from God, but depending upon God. Can you define for us what you mean by Christian imagery? I'm not well, trying to make your life difficult, mm-hmm. but that's a common thing people say, and yeah. I, I rarely get a precise definition from anyone. Well, let me just, just this line in particular. Okay. Like so, there's. Um, it says you you can when you come out of the cave. Now you can kind of see, you know, see how the world really is. And when you see how the real world really is, you see that it's it's made, you see the fingerprints of God. Okay. And so you realize that freedom isn't kind of, it doesn't come from knowledge and breaking free of kind of the chains that society put on you, but it's rather submitting to God, that's where you find freedom. Okay. And so that's a very, um, well, maybe it's a non-Greek idea. You're right. But um, he's kind of mixing kind of the Platonic allegory of kind of you know, philosophical, you know, having the scales fall from your eyes. Revelation or Revelation, illumination. Right, and then kind of merging it with, a, I think, a, a Christianish yeah. ethos. Here. That's one of the better explanations I've gotten. Okay. So, so thank you. And the last lyric we have here from these folks? Yes, yeah, so make your sirens call and sing all you want. I will not hear what you have to say. Hmm. So you're no longer distracted. You're no longer um, kind of taken in and tempted by the things of this world because now you're operating on a higher plane. Hmm. And you're a great fan of this band, aren't you? I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but this this album is phenomenal, hmm. right? And um, if they have a live album out there, which is is fantastic. Okay. I think they're great songwriters and great musicians. Okay. Yep. Very good. So shall we go on to the third clip? We should. And uh, this one is by Led Zeppelin, Achilles' Last Stand. So uh, Mishka, roll the clip. That part, <laughs> I excerpted what is probably the most annoying part of the song. Yeah, I think you did that on purpose. Though. I did, right. yeah. Well, yeah. there's there's a lot to choose from. I think the song is just shy of 11 minutes long, yeah. right? Well, Plant at the end with his caterwauling <laughs> reminded me a bit of the arrhythmic gymnastics team that took over the vomitorium <laughs> one time. You remember? I do. They were just—they were trying to get in and falling down the stairs. Exactly. And they were kind of twitching and chaos, jolting all over the place. Correct. Yeah. With their balls and their streamers and their poles and their batons. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. But now I know she was singing this from a wheelchair. Right. I have a little more sympathy okay. because of the difficulty um, controlling breathing and so forth. Without but, a doubt. Um, yeah. To be honest, I like a repetitive rock song as much as the next guy, but this one went on longer than the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> Get to Sicily already. <laughs> it is so indulgent. It is. So, I mean, this this song came out in 1976 uh, from their, their album Presence. And so, I mean, for for you know rock and roll in the 70s, especially if you're kind of in that more prog rock vein, right. I mean, if your song is under is under 12 minutes, you're doing something wrong. You phoned it in. Or you phoned it in. Right. right? <laughs> I was really impressed by the drumming. Oh, John Bonham. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I've listened to some Zeppelin. My, my first... My first college roommate, I won't name the individual, it was all Zeppelin all the time. I, I, I knew guys like that. Oh my goodness. Right. Like it was just constant Zeppelin. I had to leave the room just to restore my sanity. There right? was a, when I was in graduate school, there was a, a new radio station in Chicago that was just going to be an all Zeppelin radio station. WZEP? Yeah, it lasted three days. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but when I first listened to this, uh, I was put in mind of the words of uh, the Reverend Timothy Lovejoy, yes. the Presbyterian Lutheran minister. Who said, wait a minute, this sounds like rock and or roll. 
<laughs> Wait a minute. You know what I'm talking about. I do. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Right. So where are the lyrics here that uh, are so reminiscent of the classics and therefore um, merited inclusion in our excursus? Well, as uh, this was you know, our, the opening quote, I'm sure the, the audience will remember, referenced, um, I think, a, a lot of an unpacking of this song. But I thought it was striking that it's called Achilles' Last Stand and Achilles is never mentioned once. In the, in the song, which is a, a bold move in and of itself. And learning that it refers to you know, Mr. Plant's broken ankle. Right. Um, okay. That's kind of, uh, that's, I don't know if endearing is the right word, but it's, I, I sympathize with it. And that. there's a little cleverness in the title as well, because um, Achilles was not standing up, you see. Right. He was seated. Oh, wow. The li- and Achilles could not stand up after he got that arrow in the... Um, the calcaneal... Uh, calcaneal region. tendon. Right. <laughs> So there's one for Plant. You like Page? He's the guitarist, right? I've always found, I mean, influential. I mean, you're going to say something negative. I am going to say. I think. I. I I think he's a sloppy player. Really? I do. Yeah. He's. I mean. I mean, without a doubt, his place in rock history is secure. So Uh, we'll never have him on the podcast now that you've insulted him. He's kind of an angry. He's an angry kind of. uh, Sounds like just the kind of guy I'd get along with. Maybe you and Paige. (laughs) So um, never. I was never a huge fan of this band. I know people. They love love the Zep. All right. So here's the lyrics. Yeah. Oh, the sweet refrain soothes the soul and calms the pain. Oh, Albion remains sleeping now to rise again, wandering and wandering. What place to rest the search? The mighty arms of Atlas. Hold the heavens from the earth. You see how search and earth rhyme? Mm. For the mighty arms of Atlas hold the heavens from the earth, from the earth. From the earth, from the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the caterwauling kicks in. Right. So, you know, what's is it, it's about travel, I guess. That's mm-hmm. what it said. The things you internalize from travel. Uh, that's, so, it's all right. You're a little too critical. Well, I, I don't know. It's a, I mean, this was not a, this was not a hit. Okay. Um, I don't know. It just, it feels... It's not on your Spotify list? Well, I mean, one of the things I never liked about Zeppelin was kind of their, like, I always, I never could stand Stairway to Heaven. Okay. It's just the, the kind of the, the trippiness for the sake of trippiness. Right. Like, and, and so it must be deep because I don't understand what it means I kind see. of stuff. And I I have a limited patience with that. Mm. So here too, so, you know, Albion, a reference to England and then the reference to Atlas. But what does it really mean in terms of internalizing your, your wisdom from travel? You, I, you, I don't know. Albion remains. He always wants to get back to England. That's the reference. That's right. Because they were exiles for Correct. some reason. Right. 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 Yeah, and then this line, oh, the songs to sing when we at last return again. Okay. The Nostoy. That's Nostoy. Right. But that's kind of a generic kind of hero's journey okay. sentiment, right? Okay. Well, it's okay. You're looking for more specificity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So shall we go on uh, to the next one? Let's do it. Right. Um, this is uh, Home at Last. Yes. Uh, by Steely Dan. Yes. So Mishka, can you roll the clip, please? All right, so what do you think, Jeff? Well, I got to say, I'm a, I'm a huge Steely Dan fan. I, lo- right. I love them. And this album, Asia, is a stone-cold uh, masterpiece. Asia? Isn't it A-J-A? Yeah, that's how they spell it, but you pronounce it Asia. You do? Mm-hmm. I don't pronounce it that way. Well, they did in this In fact, song. I've never pronounced it. <laughs> Shouldn't it be either Aha or Aja? It's Asia. Okay. Because there's the title track, and that's how they pronounce it in the song. So they get to um, determine how they pronounce their own words? They do. I'm against it. Okay. Well, so I'll, I'll, let me say a couple of things. I, the, the, this album is 
a sonic masterpiece. So if you if you listen to this album, get yourself a good set of headphones. It mm-hmm. will blow you away. Like the ones we use here in the vomitorium. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Popsicle sticks. So it's jaw-droppingly uh, good in terms of kind of its production. Okay. Yeah. And But I will say, this, this song, Home at Last, this is the track that if they had to pick one to cut out, this is the one. Okay. It's filler. So what did I think of the song? Yeah, what did you think? Okay, thanks for asking. Um, a nice groove, mm-hmm. but I felt like I needed a lava lamp. Yes. And the second thing is, I feel the need to pass some refined aesthetic judgment here. Go ahead, please. It's too much like jazz. Too much like jazz. Well, yes. that, but that was kind of Steely Dan's whole thing, kind of a, a, a fusion of jazz and kind of, and pop themes. So I have correctly identified mm-hmm. what they were. What do you? What's your problem? With, what's your problem with jazz? You know that I don't like it. You don't? I didn't know that. You've you've known. Have I known that? Yes. Okay. That I I can't stand jazz. Like you? I mean, that's a broad brush. There's so Thank many you. different kinds of Thank jazz. You. That's how I paint, baby. Okay. <laughs> With a broad brush. <laughs> so you're dismissing Steven yes. out of hand because of the jazz elements. Yes. Okay. The melody wanders. All right. Take me somewhere. Look, Take me somewhere. You see, look, but the melody wanders because the character in the song is wandering. Okay. So the music kind All of right. follows the... Know, All right. I just made that up. <laughs> so what are the key lyrics here? All right. So it's, um, uh, she serves the smooth Retsina. I, I mean, I like a good reference to Retsina. It's the only That's song the I can think of. the first time I've heard a reference to Retsina in any pop culture. Exactly. But me maybe, too. You know, I don't follow pop culture. Let's tell the audience what Retsina is in case they don't know. Yes, it's a, it, it's a Greek, uh, it's a Greek uh, spirit. Yes, yeah. it's a summer beer. I mm-hmm. remember I was in Greece, maybe it was the time I was with you, and it seems like at Olympia, and we bought some Retsina, mm-hmm. which is, um, it's basically what, uh, unlike um, Ouzo, which is gasoline flavored with anise... <laughs> Retsina is more like Mountain Dew with a little pitch. With pitch, it's, it it tastes like you if you took a bite of a pine tree. That's right. Right. Exactly. I like it. I do too. But remember, Christiana said, Mm-mm, "No, no, no. You're supposed to drink that in the summer when it's hot." That's right. That's and here you guys are drinking it by the fireplace in the Hotel Antonio. Exactly. She clunk our heads together like she low. did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's the famous hotel with the uh, what is it called? The Broccoli Apollo. Yeah, the Apollo with the shaped the, like a broccoli. broccoli. But we digress. All right. So she serves the smooth retsina. She keeps me safe and warm. It's just the calm before the storm. Call in my reservation. So long. Hey, thanks, my friend. I guess I'll try my luck again. Well, the danger on the rocks is surely past. Still, I remain tied to the mast. There we go again. Yep. Could it be you, that you I have real found... hard. I got to interrupt. Yeah. You worked real hard to find that classical <laughs> reference, Mr. Dan. <laughs> um, could it be that I have found my home at last? So... So I think you're right that the the sirens references is a bit lazy. Mm-hmm. It's a bit lazy. It's overplayed, right? And I think it's the 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 two guys that basically made up Steely Dan, um, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. So this is not the name of the lead singer. No, that's oh, the okay. name of the. It's a. It comes from a, a novel by William Burroughs. It's, oh. it's a very off color reference. Boy, this is a lot of. Uh deep cuts here that you're doing yeah all right um but both of those guys are were really kind of almost like too smart for their own good yeah so in that case they don't belong in a rock band they don't well steely dan is was unlike any rock band that there has okay ever been. sorry uh, jazz fusion band right um but so i think that that makes it even more kind of unforgivable if they, that mm. i think because of the education those guys had they could have gone more obscure okay and they so, didn't so speaking of unforgivable education and more obscure yeah it's time for the ads yes This episode of Ad Nauseam brought to you by Ratio Coffee. Ratio Coffee, 
um, coming from the brilliant mind of one Mark Helwig. That's right. Way out there in Portland, Oregon. An entrepreneur. Yes. Way out in that Northwest. They, they know something about coffee out they there, do. They do. That's right? right. The fog, it's always overcast. You need something to make you alert. And right. To cut through the haze. Right. So you've got your drip coffee makers. Yep. You've got your thermal coffee makers, yes. your espresso machines, yeah. as I know it's pronounced, your percolators, mm-hmm. right, with a little plasticky knob on the top, your siphon coffee makers, your French press, your, I don't know, AeroPress, what's that? I've never heard of that one. Okay. Your cold brew. Yep. But then the king over them all, mm-hmm. right, climbing to the top of the mountain is? Uh, your your pour over machine. Yes. Right, but- your- yeah, you, the ratio, the ratio six or eight is what you're talking about. Yeah, here. that is yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. But if it's a pour over machine, you got to go to one of those fancy brewery, beanery, barnery places and wait for someone, you know, to schlep the hot water while you stand there at the counter, right? right? And that, look forlorn. That used to be the the the, the process. Right? And it takes about as long as what a Led Zeppelin song. Exactly right. Achilles' exactly. last brew. <laughs> exactly. By the time it's done, you don't want the coffee anymore. No. Right. So what's the solution? The solution is to go to ratiocoffee.com. Check out the ratio six or its older brother, uh, the ratio eight, and um, see what these can do for your. It'll, it'll revolutionize your coffee drinking experience. Did you have some coffee this morning? I did. Yes, I, brewed, I did. Brewed it up from my ratio eight. How about you? I did also. Yeah, from the eight, and um, it was a work of art. It was. It was excellent. It was as always. Mm-hmm. Right. So Mrs. Winkle enjoys it. Absolutely. The kids love the machine. Right. The machine is beautiful. What did they say when you took it out of the box? One of your sons. They, they said it. They said it looked like like from something from science fiction. I think they said it looked like the Millennium Falcon. That's what it you was. Remember that? That's what it was. Exactly right. So right. This is the Millennium Falcon of, of of coffee machines. That's right. Yeah. So you hit that button. Then you got the three stages. You got the bloom. You got the brew, and then it's ready. That's correct. The old, my only kind of criticism is. Oh that no. I wish that 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 last stage had began with a B. So to continue the alliteration. Boom, brew, brew. and... What could it be? Boom. (laughs) (laughs) You can submit it, you know, to Mark. We'll pass it along. See if he wants boom (laughs) as the third stage. I don't think he's going to go for it. Probably not. Let's leave the coffee making to him. Okay. uh, Let's say one of our audience members is thinking... I'm tired of schlepping low-quality coffee out of my Dakin Blecker. Yep. I need to get one of these ratios. What should they do, Jeff? They should go to the website, ratiocoffee.com, R-A-T-I-O coffee.com. Select the machine you want, the six or the eight. Type in the coupon code A-N-C-O-V-4. Yep, Victor, and then the numeral four. Four. That that code will be good through September. And uh, you'll get 15% off your purchase. That's right. Check it out. You will not regret it. This episode also brought to you by the good folks at Hackett Publishing. Jeff, we've talked a lot about Hackett Publishing. Yes, we have. We've talked about their wonderful selection of classical authors, how they have more than one horse in the stable, you might say. Mm -hmm. For the translation of the Aeneid, they have both Lombardo, one of our favorites, and then the rhyming version of Krizak. Yeah. Uh, what did we do with Ovid, the Metamorphoses? We also had um, Lombardo's translation of the Metamorphoses, and we, there was another one. Ambrose. Ambrose, right. Yes. And each one of these is done with a beautiful cover. Uh, they come in paperback. You can get the cloth edition if you'd like, pay a little extra. High quality, uh, affordable, great for use in the classroom. Yep. Using uh, Lombardo's translation of uh, of the Odyssey right now in my yes. class. Students love it. Uh, I love the artwork. I love, and my students love how affordable these things That's are. That's right. Right. And so um, you're going to because get, pers- yeah. pursuing a classical education shouldn't be you know crushingly expensive. No, right. And with the the uh, one of the crimes out there is how much you know textbooks cost. Oh, out they there. do. So um, go. If, I often look in, in courses I teach. If Hackett has a volume that I can use that works for my class, I will do it. I go there first. Absolutely. Yep. And that's what you should consider. Also, please, dear listener, go to HackettPublishing.com. H A C K E T T Publishing.com. Check out their vast selection. If you like what you see, and we think you will, 
please drop some of those books in your your grocery satchel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they need a coupon code at checkout. Is that right, Jeff? Yes. A-N-2022. And what will that get them? That will give them two wonderful things. 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Check it out. All right, Jeff. So as we get back into it, uh, we got to roll a clip here, don't we? We do. So and the- this is from uh, what? Uh, Jay's and Canny? Uh, Jay-Z and, okay. and Kanye. Kanye. Yeah. All right. Or just yay or ye. Is, is that what he goes by? I think so. Right. right. Uh, Mr. West. Mr. West, yes. And this is from the uh, the album Watch the Throne. Mm-hmm. From 2011. Okay, and the title is... Uh... No Church in the Wild. All right. Right. So let's roll that clip, please, Mishka. Human beings in a mind. What's a mind to a king? What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a Okay, so what do you think, Jeff? Is this your kind of groove? No, no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't listen to this genre of music uh, that often. But I, I found if you if you Google the title for this song, you'll actually find a lot of people writing about the themes and um, the, the platonic references, mm. which I thought was really interesting and very unex, unexpected. Right? right. I was reading through the comment section in the uh, YouTube video. Yeah. You know, because you sent me the link to the song on YouTube. Mm-hmm. People love this song. They do. It's the greatest composition ever in the words of some, which I was very surprised well, by. Well, uh, a lot of people hold uh, both these guys, Jay-Z and Kanye West, in high esteem when it comes huh. to kind of um, you know, artistic merit and, okay. and lyrics. Um, I don't listen to a lot of this music either, or hardly any, because frankly, I find it all sounds really similar. Yeah, it, I could, it could be I my that. ignorance. Right. It could be my ignorance. You got to listen to something for a while to tease out some of the differences, perhaps. Yeah. I've, I think that it's um, for, like for this song, it's much more about the lyrics, right, and the, and the phrasing than it is about kind of the beat and the and instrumentation behind it, which I find kind of also kind of repetitive and just not that interesting. Well, in the vocalizing, I I don't find there's a lot of craft in mm. the singing, frankly. Yeah, but yeah. maybe I'm missing all of the important parts that that could definitely be. You want to read some of these key lyrics? Yes. So he says, "I'm wondering if a thug's prayers reach." Is pious, pious, because God loves pious. Socrates asks, whose bias do you all seek? All for Plato, screech. I'm out here ballin'. I know you all hear my sneaks. Jesus was a carpenter. Yeezy laid beats. Hova flow the Holy Ghost. Get the bleep up out of your seats. Preach. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Again, I'm ignorant, but I can't put all this together. Well, you do have... I got the the Plato part. Yes, yes. Um, And then... Uh, Kanye West, in in his sheer humility, com- compares himself to Jesus. Right, right? They, so, they follow right in with one another. So, <laughs> the all for Plato screech that means uh, what? Everyone give it up, as they say, for Plato. I guess so. Okay, I guess so. Um, and I'm out here balling means I'm out here working hard, well, trying to trying to be the best at what I'm doing. Yes, that? exactly. Okay. exactly. So I know y'all hear my sneaks. You know, my sneaks, pa- sneakers. Um, yeah, I think like, on the court, it's, yes. a, it's a metaphor for hard work and hard diligence. Work, exactly, he's okay. good. At, he's good at what he does, and then so you know, Jesus was a carpenter. He did that. Yeezy, I lay beats. That's Kanye West, right? So he says, "I build just like Jesus does." Okay, I think that's that's the sense here. In all humility, right? Um, but apparently, there's a very specific reference here to the euthyphro. Okay, this is what a lot, a lot of people have commented on. So there's a um, there is a classics and pop music blog out there. Um, which I took a, a, a peek through. I can't vouch for it. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, a you can't vouch for the quality of the yes. content or the family appropriateness? Probably both, okay. right? I thought this one was kind of interesting. It's, I think it's one of those, it's, you know, we often speak about seeing things that aren't there. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems to be kind of, often seems to be kind of an exercise in kind of maybe over-interpreting. Yes. But, you know, over, over-interpret and then you can dial it back. That's right. right? And so... Um, Samuel Flores is the individual, he right, wrote, who put he this wrote, together. He wrote the article on, on this, and I don't know if he runs the blog or whatever. Okay. It says, Jay-Z references the Euthyphro uh, dilemma in this, uh, in No Church in the Wild, the haunting opening track of his 2011 collaborative album with Kanye West, Watch the Throne. Plato's Euthyphro is a fictional dialogue between Socrates and the seer Euthyphro in which the two discuss the meaning of piety, uh, ton ocean. Mm-hmm. The so-called Euthyphro dilemma, uh, Plato, Euthyphro, in uh, section 10a occurs okay, with, hold on now, yes if i may okay, can i interrupt yes please okay so is he trying to give this kind of the sheen of credibility by mentioning the stephanus page it's in 10a or is he just being a diligent is he just being a diligent scholar and i'm being a jerk no i think he's i think the, the blog is actually geared towards classicists people who would know what or this stu- means. students of the classics okay right? fair. So it's, it's more about the classics than it is about the pop music okay so i don't think he's being pedantic or okay right so he says um this Euthyphro dilemma occurs when Socrates posits a problem with Euthyphro's third definition of piety, that which all the gods love. Socrates asks whether something is pious because the gods love it, right. or if the gods love something because it's pious. Right. Jay-Z alludes to the same problem in a verse problematizing the relationship between violence and organized religion, which I, and that's the, you know, it, I'm wondering if a thug's prayers reach is pious, pious because God loves pious. Socrates asks, whose bias do y'all seek? All for Plato's screech. Mm. So I don't, I'm not quite getting the the violence and organized religion connection there. Does no, not not violence and organized religion. Right. Uh, although the video that you sent me, I don't think it was produced by the persons who made the song. I think it was put to that, and it was I about right, yeah. Molotov cocktails and violence in you know urban cities or somewhere. I I, I wasn't sure. Um, there definitely is a a difficult relationship between organized religion and objective truth in mm-hmm. the in the euthyphro yeah but i don't think violence is a part of that at all right the particular references that i remember is that socrates asks euthyphro who's on trial for uh the murder of someone who worked for his father right mm-hmm. um, he's mm-hmm. trying his own father for the murder of a slave right who died by neglect being left in a ditch and the examples that socrates comes up with are things like this well if it's pious because the gods love it, what about the impious way that the gods behave? Mm, right? You've got yes. the gods doing all kinds of reprehensible things right. for which they would be put on trial. Mm-hmm. So clearly the, the gods of the traditional Homeric pantheon have no clear understanding of morality. Yes. Yeah. But is this what Jay-Z is thinking about? I don't know. I mean, the, even this line, I, I struggle to kind of to, to tease out exactly what he means. I'm wondering if a thug's prayers reach. So that is if someone is... Who is violent? Okay. Does God listen uh, to, to someone like that? Does, does was God does God even listen to the prayers of someone who is impious? That's a good question, right? And then the, the, I think the, that's a worthwhile religious and philosophical question. Sure, right. And then the next line is pious, pious because God loves pious. So is he, is he saying that? Well, it, maybe not because God has His own standard of pious, and if I don't match up to that, He's not going to listen to me. Mm. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Socrates asked, "Whose bias do you all seek?" Ah, uh, all for Plato's screech. Right. Should we just leave it there? I guess so. I mean, so I mean, I thought what was frustrating about I thought this is, I mean, the blog post, it, it, audience, if you want to seek it out, and, and right. it, it goes, it goes on um, to kind of unpack this uh, to a degree. But 
I found a lot of stuff just kind of left dangling. And again, we have, um, you know, a wide audience, people who know a lot about things that we know little or nothing. Right. Maybe one of them is a a great fan of this song and can, you know, shed some light on it because we don't want to uh, downplay something that may have a lot of artistic value simply because we don't understand it. Exactly right. And uh, something I, if Jay-Z and Kanye West are wrestling with the euthyphro, more power to them. Absolutely. Right? I think that's fascinating. I agree. Right. Even if I don't fully understand kind of the, the use of the illusion. Correct. Right. Shall we go on to the next one? Do we, uh, how we, are we doing, are we doing? Oh, we're doing time? fine. Okay. Michael. We, so we got to get this one in because this was one of my absolute favorites. Right. So this one is a song called Calypso uh, by Suzanne Vega. It's from the album Solitude Standing, 1987, which was kind of. She never really made it huge. Okay. Um, you might remember. Do you remember the song "My Name Is Luca"? No. I live on the second floor. No. No. Okay. That was kind of her big hit. It was off this album. Mention another pop reference, and I won't know oh, it. Sorry. Okay. You all know right. that. I know. Come I know. On, I Jeff. Um, this may be the first time I've heard of this woman. So the song "Luca," which was kind of her her one big hit. Okay. Um, uh, is about um. A child abuse. Mm. It's actually quite a powerful song. Mm. Um, and then there's also a song on this album called Tom's Diner, which mm-hmm. is kind of a spoken word piece with a do 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 do. I know that song. Yes, that's, that's all, she. That's her. Yep. Oh, that's an annoying song. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that, but I I really like her. I think okay. she's I think she's a really talented artist, and I, and I love her voice. So this came out in 1987, mm-hmm. and uh, Mishka, can you roll that clip? My name is Calypso, and I have lived alone. Haunting, isn't it? I loved it. It's beautiful. I love the way she sings this. Yeah, it's really quite... It's beautiful. It's full of longing, right, and loss. Yes, I would describe it as kind of reminiscent of Enya. Yeah. With all the synths and so forth. Sure. And the layered harmonies. Right. But it had a lot more substance to it. I would totally agree with that. Right. So, I mean, Enya, too, um, you know, she, she had kind of her biggest moment right around the same time. Right. So, I think that in some ways, um, this is definitely an album of the time. Okay. I, I mean, I listen to this and I can hear the 1987 in it, but um, I'm a sucker for kind of an ethereal, breathy, feminine vocal. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's so good. Okay. Right? So, can you read us some of these lyrics that were so moving and haunting? Yes. So, I kept him here for years and now I let him go. My name is Calypso. I have let him go. In the dawn, he sails away to be gone forevermore, and the waves will take him in again. But he'll know their ways now. I will stand upon the shore with a clean heart, and my song in the wind and the sand will sting my feet, and the sky will burn. It's a lonely time ahead. I do not ask him to return. I let him go. I let him go. This is so much more brilliant, frankly, than the previous classical references because, here's my take, yeah. because even though the Calypso story is also in some ways a little a little trite, I don't mean that in the original, but again, it's not obscure in, in mm. any sense. Mm-hmm. It's a great reinterpretation because we're told the story through her eyes exactly. after the fact. Exactly. Something that, that Homer never tells us. Right. Mm-hmm. How did Calypso feel after the fact? So it's a continuation of the story. Right. And it's sad. It's very sad. Right. So it kind of reminded me of, I don't think you've read it, but Madeline Miller's Circe. No, I haven't. Which, which is a, a brilliant kind of retelling of, the, of that story. And from the perspective of Circe herself, I, I think that's a, that can be a really wonderful way for kind of the, the, the mythic universe to be expanded. Correct. And well, so, that's what Star Wars is trying to do now, right? 
with the Andor and the Rogue One and find some small little side story mm -hmm. and turn it into an entire world. Right. I don't have an opinion on whether they've succeeded in that, but I endorse the basic aesthetic principle. Right. Just take a small episode, turn it into its own its own world. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you too. It, it's not the most. Uh, I mean, if we're if we're taking you know as obscurity as a virtue, um, this is. I don't think it's as bad as like the, the sirens. No. Um, but what I love about what what she does with this is that she takes a a mythic epic story and she universalizes it. Yes. Who hasn't Who hasn't been saddened by by losing someone? Correct. Right? You know, either to death or kind of the end of a relationship, and even so, the end of a friendship when it it right. changes, its color changes, something you previously really appreciated now is gone. Exactly. And so I think everybody can relate to that yeah. to that that feeling. You know, I was just reading the Calypso episode with my class, and again, it's very focused on where Odysseus needs to go next, right? Mm -hmm. And so Hermes comes down to Calypso and says, you got to let him go. Right. And we do get some lines of kind of anger and frustration from her. On her part. But once Odysseus yep. leaves, she's gone. And so I love this kind of lingering with her on the shore. Yeah, with her lovely tresses, remember? Yes. The lovely tressed nymph. Yes. We did an episode on that in the Odyssey series. Oh, our hugely popular Not Odyssey. so popular. No, no. <laughs> Chris Sanicola, make sure you've listened to that one, please. Yes. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Bump, bump up those numbers. Yeah, I got to say one more thing about this before we go on to Dylan. Yeah. And that is, as I was researching this, uh, Wikipedia says that the genre of this song is folk. Yeah. And that's got to be an error. This well. It's not possible. You know why? Why? Because I really enjoyed the song. <laughs> and I hate folk. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to, you know, how do you define that? I think she kind of got pigeonholed as a a um, young woman strumming an acoustic guitar. Yeah, but that's right? not fair. It's, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's like the... You know, the guitar version of Karen Carpenter. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think she got, she kind of got pigeonholed by that. She's gone on, she's still making music. Really? Um, she has a, an album that I brought when I was in grad school called Days of Open Hand, which is wonderful. It's so good. I mean, she's a great writer, great lyricist. I don't know, she never got the attention I think she deserved. I think. Like, like Sheryl Crow? Cheryl, yeah. She, she never got up to the level of Sheryl Crow. Isn't Sheryl Crow woman strumming a, a guitar? Guitar. And I think Susan Vega blows Sheryl Crow out of the water. I've never been a huge Sheryl Crow fan. She's okay. But um, as you mean a, in terms of talent, talent and, and and songwriting, not even close. Yeah, and so I think that she kind of got like that, like, like the quote says, she kind of got pigeonholed as a folk artist, and, right? And says, "Oh, you're in that. We'll put you in that bin." Well, see, I wouldn't listen to it if it said folk because I don't care for that genre. I got you. I loved this song. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. But we we, got, let's, let's go on. Let's, let's go on to Bob Dylan. Let's. Yeah. What's next? Yes. Can you roll this clip, please, Mishka, on Dylan? Well, there you have it. <laughs> You're not a Dylan fan, are you? I don't like anything, Jeff. You know that. I know exactly, but uh, <laughs> I did like Suzanne Vega. Uh, mm -hmm. But so this is from the album Infidels. Yes, in 1983. Right. So I, a lot of people, uh, I like 
Bob Dylan, kind of, I like his stuff from about 1962 to about 1970, and then I think it drops off the map. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of Dylan, even hardcore Dylan fans, kind of point to kind of his output in the 80s as being kind of regrettable. Okay. You know? And so this sounds very... This is the song Joker Man. Joker Man. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you sent me again the link to the video, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the video was awful. If I had just listened to it, yeah. maybe it'd be okay. I don't want a real tight close-up of Dylan playing the harmonica. <laughs> It's kind of unpleasant. You're saying he's not an attractive man? Well, I don't want to really see anyone playing the harmonica from a, a six-inch perspective. You know? I, got, I, I, I can sympathize it's, you with know, that. It's, I love the instrument. It sounds great. Right. I play a little harmonica myself, but you don't want to watch someone play sure. the harmonica. I got you. And Dylan is is an acquired taste, right? Okay. So, I mean, he's does not, he does not have a traditional vocal style. It's a, right. right. And so a lot of people uh, can laud him for his brilliant lyrics. Yes. Right? And I do... I do I think the classical referent that he used here, I think this falls into that's obscure. Okay, and I so like let's it. hear it. Can All you right. read us some of these key lyrics? I believe, I think these are the, actually the opening lines. It says, standing on the waters, casting your bread, with the eyes of the idol, with the iron head are glowing. Distant ships are sailing into the mist. Then here's the classical referent. You were born with a snake in both of your fists while a hurricane was blowing. Freedom just around the corner for you, but with the truth so far off, what good will it do? Okay. So he references... The young infant Heracles oh. in his crib with the two snakes in his hand. That's right. Yes. And I believe, um, I think in the video that actually I sent you, they uh, at that moment they show the, the Minoan princess with the snakes in her hand. Oh, right? really? So they, they, totally off. It's totally off. Although right? it's, I mean, it's in the neighborhood, I guess. Exactly. There is a connection between um, Hercules and Mycenae. And there's a connection between Mycenae and the Minoans. Mm-hmm. So I've done the homework for the viewer there. There you go. There you go. So um, a lot, of, as with everything, Dylan, people have argued and debated it endlessly, right? And this is a song that a lot of people love. This is because they don't have enough to do. Wow, well, exactly. They don't have to dig ditches and build fences and slap the hogs and so forth. That's it, why they have time to argue. Exactly. There's even a branch of study called Dylanology. You're kidding I'm me. I'm not kidding you. Oh. I'm not kidding you, right? So it's a, uh, but people, with, again, with his, his, some of you know, his lyrics are often so odd and obscure right. that the debate is, well, what is this genius up to here? Yeah. I, I wrote a terrible poem as an undergrad. Yeah. Maybe I can dig it up, which oh, was in this vein. Was it? It was in the vein of, you know, it rhymed a little bit, but it was all uh, ridiculous references and illusions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I got it published in the undergrad magazine called Dialogue. Yes, remember I remember. Dialogue? I do. That's awesome. Yeah. And the editor said to me, I don't understand what this means. I don't think this means anything. And I said, you've got it. <laughs> and it was published, but it's totally regrettable. Man, if you can find it. I'll be, look for okay, it. That's yes. my Dylan-esque moment. Right. I, I wrote a uh, three albums worth of, of terrible, regrettable really? songs. Yeah, exactly. No, you wrote one really good one about Janis Joplin. I did, yes. And, and I hope I, I think that I've written some decent ones in the in the okay. in there. But my early stuff, my college stuff, oh, cringeworthy. Regrettable, right. sure. Right, so, so Dylan's got the the Hercules reference. I right. really like that. So a lot, a lot of people tie this in. So um, so Dylan went through. Uh, he had a, a conversion to Christianity, mm-hmm. and um, late seventies there was a, an album called Slow Train Coming. It's, okay. it's all about kind of his, his gradual kind of conversion to to Christ. What, what was his background before that? He's Jew. He's Jewish. Okay, right? but I mean, so he's his real name is Robert Zimmerman. Hmm. And he grew up a, a, a Jew in northern um, Minnesota. Okay. And then made his way to New York City. But he was never, he was always kind of a never a religious you know practicing uh, Jew, and so an agnostic. But he kind of he came to I don't know where he is these days. What are his but, faith commitments? Exactly. But some people point to this album came out in 1983 as kind of the tail end of kind of his Christian period. And so the song Joker Man is about. Um, 
in Silicon standing on the waters, casting your bread. That's a reference to, to, to Christ walking on the water and kind of offering you salvation. Right. While the eyes of the idol with the iron head are glowing, you're distracted by, by false, right. by, by false things. And then um, you were born with a snake in both of your fists. Like, you know, Heracles kind of, he's, he's born with this curse, right? Okay. He's cursed from the very beginning. Right. And the, the Joker man is really a song about, about, um, finding what's going to ultimately release you from that curse. Okay. And then the answer is, is, is well, Jesus is the answer. Okay. Yeah, buried under kind of his his obscure references. Okay. Yeah. So this uh, interview with Kurt Loder. Yes. Rolling Stone, 1984, when uh, Dylan was interviewed. Mm-hmm. Shall I read that quote? Please. He says, me and another guy have a boat down there in the Caribbean. Joker man kind of came to me in the islands. It's very mystical. I got to stop you there, Dylan. Yeah. Anytime you tell the audience that your song is mystical... <laughs> I think I think you shouldn't do that. You should let it speak for itself. Correct. If you have to tell people that what you're doing is mystical, I don't know. It seems like you're avoiding their direct appreciation of it. I, I, I totally agree with that. It's like the you know the the Marshall poem. I don't cook for cooks. I don't know that poem. Well, it's along the lines of um, you know the the critics don't like the poetry I'm serving up. Yeah. Too bad. I'm I'm cooking for those ah, who are actually consuming it. I'm gotcha. Not, I'm not trying to please other critics. Gotcha. 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 Anyway, yeah. Dylan goes on. The shapes there and shadows seem to be so ancient. The song was sort of inspired by these spirits they call jumbies. Jumbies. Mm-hmm. Which apparently is some sort of kind of mystical force in so- Southern American Caribbean folklore. Okay. Right. So the, the the jumbies kind of come over you, and then you have no choice but to mm. but to um, you know sing it out. Okay, yeah. So uh, I think we should move on from Dylan. Okay, right. You've had enough. Yes, but Jeff, I think we got to get out of here. We do. We don't have time for another one. No, we don't. I want to no. mention. I think the best interpretation of Bob Dylan. Yeah, is uh, the song Bob. Yeah. By Weird Al. Oh, that's a great which one. Which is a long string of palindromes. Yes. Sung in the style of Bob Dylan. It's so good. It's so good. That guy's a genius. I second that. Yeah. Yeah. But why did we have to get out of here? Well, because uh, do you hear the the banging on the door? Yes, I know. Sting is very upset. It's the RIAA. It is the RIAA, right? They're gonna sue us for all this copyright <laughs> violation. <laughs> we got, we got, we got, we we have um, we have made so many people angry. Yes, we have by playing their stuff. That's but, right. So. But yeah, we got to go. We do. And uh, we're going to do a part two, aren't we? Yeah, sometime, somewhere Come, sometime down the line. down the road. Yep. Maybe after book eight of the Aeneid or something sure. like that. We're going to cover such bands as ABBA. Yep. Mm-hmm. A there's, per- a, there's a palindrome right there. There you go. Uh, a Perfect Circle, mm-hmm. uh, a, a local Grand Rapidian in that band. And uh, Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren in his band Utopia. Okay. Yes. Yep. Going to cover some of that. And and uh, numerous others. Like I said at the top of the show, there's so many of this of this stuff out here. Out Anthrax. There. Anthrax. Chris DeBerg. Yes. Don't all be that the fairy man. Yeah. Sabaton. If, you, if you're into death metal. Not. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sit tight. Or, or Dave, you want to talk about the Moss Method real quick? Yeah, I would. Is okay. that all right with you? Please. Okay. So you mentioned someone as Erudite earlier. Yeah. I don't remember who that was. That is the guy from Mumford and Sons. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to learn some Greek, if you want to go ab initio from no knowledge to quite a bit from neophyte to erudite, you should check out my program, mossmethod.com. We are still running a back-to-school sale. Fantastic. 10% off. I take you right from the ground floor, teach you the alphabet, syllabification, diphthongs, the whole nine yards, and then you can read and enjoy the kind of stuff that uh, Jeff and I talk about on the podcast. You can read it and enjoy it for yourself. And they'll find it at mossmethod.com. Lots of free stuff to Lots check out. Lots of free stuff. A wide range of Greek authors that I cover and explain, teach you some good things. If you like it, sign up for the course. It's a tremendous value. I can say, I think with all honesty, that there is nothing like it available on the internet. A yeah. lot of people teach Greek. They teach New Testament. They teach some of the uh, the classics. 
This is a comprehensive course, and uh, it's a great value. Fantastic. Check it out. And if you'd like to study some Latin, Jeff, what should they do? Well, they should go to latinperdiem.com, right? That's correct. Right. What am I offering there? You're, you're offering all kinds, of, again, lots of free stuff. Yes, more than 1,800 free videos of Latin authors directly digested and taught. Yes, and you're also, you have a course where you use that wonderful text from Hackett, right? That's right. The Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. That's Latin the one? teaches itself. And again, I think this is a fantastic value. It's $199. Mm-hmm for which you get uh, the full course, the first nine chapters of this incredible textbook, uh, 29 instructional videos right now uh, of about you know 30 minutes to an hour each where I am teaching live students how to speak and read Latin. You Fantastic. can come along. Fantastic. All right, we do have some people to thank. Yes, let's thank Mishka. Mishka, yeah. Especially doing some heavy lifting here with all those clips. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And we want to thank uh, Scott Van Zen, uh, mm-hmm. the ripping brilliant guitarist who gives us the intro and outro music. Yeah. And, uh, of course, our friend Ken Templin. That's right. What are those two, what are those two guys would have thought of all these songs? Oh, right? I'd love to hear that. I would love feedback. to hear that, too. I know right. Ken would be on the show sometime. Oh, we, yeah, that'd be, that would be so much fun. Yeah, we'd have to both grow our hair out, you know, oh, to we, keep up. Exactly right. <laughs> and my, my wardrobe, I, I feel like oh, just outclassed. Boy. Yes, yeah. your luster is lacking, let me tell you. <laughs> But Ken gives us this great music free of charge. Such a generous guy. What yeah. if what if they want to get in touch with us, these uh, audience members? Yeah, if they want to, if they, if, we would love to get some song suggestions. If That's they, right. If you like this episode, but um, yeah, please write to us. Too. You can write to Dave at Dave at adnauseum.com. Don't forget that V or Jeff at adnauseum.com. Don't forget the V N A V S E A M. Yes. Give us a shout out, some suggestions. Uh, pick up a T-shirt. Yes. Uh, at our website, you know, one of the T-shirts that were. Um, or what are we doing? We're, are we hawking them? We're hawking them. Yeah. Yeah, ad nauseum's last stand. Yeah. <laughs> That's you right. You like that? I do. The closure, the full circle. What's coming up next? Next, we're going to get back into um, we're gonna, the Catabasis. That's get, right. We're going back down into Hades. And, Book six uh, of the Aeneid. Yeah, part two. That'll be episode 99. Ooh. And if we can get all of our ducks in a row. Yeah. Episode 100 is going to be a Greatest Hits compilation. Fantastic. Yeah, let's do it. Jeff, I think you have the gustatory parting shot. Yeah, this comes from an uh, author named Gideon Defoe from his work, The Pirates, with an exclamation mark, in an adventure with Ahab. And the quote is this, It was about as close as you could get to the platonic ideal of a ham. If Plato had spent more time discussing hams and less time mucking about with triangles. There you go. So, did Plato ever do anything with triangles? Is he thinking of Pythagoras? I don't know. He's making stuff up. <laughs> gotcha. In the Mino, <laughs> yeah. in the Mino, there's a lot of mathematical oh, discussion. Okay. okay and right. there may be some triangles in there. But let's let trigons be trigons. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.